Matthew and uh, particularly Matthew um, and not only there, but over in Isaiah as well to help connect the dots. Uh, more importantly, particularly when it comes to even Micah chapter five, uh, the location, as we'll even touch on that location in the text today as to where the birth of Jesus took place. But just to be able to understand what the prophets of old had already prophesied about the birth of Jesus Christ and more specifically the prophet Isaiah. We are in the final lesson of unit one, and I think it's important that we look back to understand when we began this unit, what this unit was all about. And not only that, but even when we began the quarter and remember, even though our lessons have been specifically about number one, the prophecy of Jesus's birth, number two, uh, Mary and her praising God. And then last Sunday, we talked about the birth of the forerunner, John the Baptist. And today, the title of the lesson is the birth of the Savior. But here is what the theme of this quarter is about. Discipleship. Discipleship. As we looked at those lessons, oftentimes it's difficult to see where, okay, where is discipleship in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, the prophecy of Jesus' birth. Well, it is there because, remember, Mary is a teenager. Most teenagers aren't very mature, are they? Most teenagers aren't very mature. But when the announcement was made to Mary, what did Mary say? How did she respond? Did she respond positively? Did she say, yes, Lord? Your handmaid, you've chosen me. Amen. And what does that teach you and I? Here's what it's tailored to teach you and I, that we ought to be equally as what? Obedient to the call of God. And particularly those of us who are maturing Christians, we should better understand because of our relationship with God, how important it is for us to respond to the call of God. It's one thing to trust. But it's another to what? Obey. And most of us don't want to obey. The unit theme is this, the prelude to discipleship. So everything we've been talking about over the past three weeks has been the prelude to discipleship. Even so much so, watch this. Remember last Sunday we talked about the forerunner. John the Baptist gives birth and they're discussing because it is what? The eighth day. So they go to the temple for circumcision and they're discussing what shall the child's name be. But remember, we talked over in chapter one also verses 13 through 15 is where the angel spoke to who? Zechariah and told him what the child's name would be. Remember, Zechariah is mute and deaf. And so the cousins and the neighbors began to chatter with Elizabeth as to, well, there's, no, you, there's nobody in this family named John. They supposed that the child's name should have been what? Zacharias, which was customary in those days. A son named after what? His father. Oh, remember? But Elizabeth was not even there. At least it's not recorded in the Bible. When the angel spoke to who? Zacharias. Remember, Zechariah is mute and deaf. 
So they're hand gesturing to him, and then he does what? He says, bring me a writing tablet. And he writes the name, John. And they begin to shout. And at which point instantly what? John is now able to speak. And when he does, what does he do? He praises God. Theologians suggest that his is a benedictatory praise when you really read it. And today I want us to go back and read, and, and I'll show you how it ties into the text for today, verses 67 to 70, because I think it's real important. It will bless us. Now, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. The title of the text today is The Birth of a Savior. Is that not right? The Birth of a Savior. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. So here it is. Here's the question. What was the most important thing, him being born or him dying? That really was a uh, trick question. (laughs) Certainly can't die if you're not born. Amen. So, uh, however, he was born to die. He was born to die. Because had he not died, you and I, would be dead in our trespasses and sins. Because you do know he said, Lord, if it be possible, take this what? Cup from me. But nevertheless, not what? Not my will, but thine will be done. Amen. All right, here it is. Birth of the Savior, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. So we talk about the details the birth of Jesus. Historians, we typically, that is the theologians and so forth, tend to suggest that the two most significant births in all of our history is the birth of John the Baptist and Jesus. And obviously, Jesus's birth is the most significant, the most significant. Two things the author says that we can focus on in the text today, that is the birth of Jesus, which is in verses one through seven, and then the angel's proclamation, verses eight through 14, verses eight through 14. Listen to this. Christmas should be a time of reflection and thanksgiving. As we remember the greatest gift of all, that gift is God's son, Jesus Christ. Jesus truly is God's gift to man. Jesus came to save us from our sins. Turn quickly to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1.
verse 21. And it reads, let's read it together. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will do what? Amen. Shall call his name Jesus for he will do what? Now look at, watch this, look at the title of the lesson. Birth of the what? And what is a savior? What does that word savior, what does that mean? What's the meaning of the word savior? Ah, there it is. That's one of them, a rescuer, a deliverer. That's why we call him savior. Because he did what? Rescued and what? Delivered us from what? From sin. Those of us who have professed a faith in Jesus Christ, that are believers in Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. He has done what? Rescued, delivered us from sin. Amen. Because more importantly, watch this. Not only did he come to save us from our sins, but he also came to make us the righteousness of God. Did you get that? Go to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Are you there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Let's read together. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why he came. To save us from our sins and then to make us the righteousness of God in him. Amen. Watch this. Without him, that is, without Jesus, you and I, not you but me, would be lost in sin. It all began way back in Genesis, did it not? With Brother Adam. Sin was not in the world. Amen. So had Jesus not come, had he not been born, had he not gone to the cross, you and I, hmm? And oh, by the way, you do know the Bible says we would be what? Dead in trespasses and we were dead in trespasses and sins. Amen. Here's the fact. To see that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. What's the principle? To understand that all of the gifts we might receive, nothing compares to God's gift of his son. I don't care how many diamond rings you get. I don't care how many fancy cars you get. In fact, half the stuff you got, most of you don't even know where it's at. Not you, but me. And if you just so happen to stumble up on it, I forgot I even had this. I forgot all about this. It's just sitting up somewhere. You Here it is, Jerry. Mama them back in the day, 
they would take mothballs. And put it in, you know, <laughs> so as to protect the garbage and stuff. And still wasn't going to wear that stuff, just holding on to it. Amen. So you can get the gift. You can go out and spend a lot of money unnecessarily and get caught up in the commercialization of this season and miss Christmas. I think I just said something. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm going to show you where and how, too. It's in the text today. I'm going to show you how you miss Christmas. Now, the application is this, to share the truth of the Savior's coming with as many people as we can. Now, I think that is discipleship. What are your thoughts? That's discipleship, is it not? That is what we're talking about this quarter, discipleship. Oh, by the way, that's just another way of saying our vision statement. What are we? Service of Christ, sharing the love and truth, huh? Making What are we doing? Making disciples. To share the love and truth of Christ. And that's what we should be doing every day. And every chance you get, you ought to share a word with someone. First and foremost, here's what it does. It lets them know that you're different. And it will pique their interest. You tell them about Jesus, especially, you know, in your workplace where people be sharing oftentimes, you know, uh, challenges they're facing and so forth. How, how do you answer? How do you respond to when someone is sharing with you about life that's happening? How do you win life's battles? How do you win life's battles? You certainly can't do it in your own strength, just in case you didn't know. I hate to disappoint you. You are not going to be able to win life's battles in your own strength. And if you don't believe me, read 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and see what King Jehoshaphat did. You know, that's where you hear people quoting the scripture that says, Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord. That's where that came from. Second Chronicles chapter 20 because of the enemies of Israel that were approaching. First thing you got to do if you're going to win life's battle is you got to know who the enemy is. You got to identify the enemy. Then secondly, you got to admit your own inadequacies. And thirdly, you got to do what? Take your problems to the Lord. Here it is. That's that's why he is called our what? Savior. We are talking about the birth of the Savior. Amen. Now, the first Christmas was one of the most glorious days in human history as the Son of God was born into this world where he was desperately needed. Not only that, he's needed today. I don't know about you, but every day of my life, you listen to the news, you watch the news, and you just go, wow, really? What would make someone team up with another fool to kill your own mother? Who does that? Who does that? 
Wow. Or a young lady trying to make a difference in life, trying to move on in life, and fools decide that, hey, wrong person, however, yet we're still going to kill her. And these are teenagers. Unbelievable. Or you kill your wife and then suggest, I don't know, there's no remorse, no nothing. Just tell me we don't need Jesus. There's some crazy stuff going on in this world, but Washington, just stuff you just go, wow. And none of us are impervious to it. It's just by the grace of God. It's not us. People often ask me, uh, how you doing? I said, I'm just trying to stay out of the way. <laughs> just, I'm just trying to stay out of the way. And that's why you got to pray and ask God to protect you. And every time you walk out your front door, you have no idea whether or not you're coming back home. You just don't know. So we, if so the songwriter said it like this, if there's ever a time we needed the Lord before, we sure do need him now. Amen. Now, listen to this. <laughs> Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and there is no other who can save us from our sins. I didn't make that up. It's in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Turn there, let's read it, if you don't mind. Let's, let's go to Acts chapter 4. And you, you know this. If you're an evangelism student and you've matriculated through evangelism, you, you know this verse of Scripture. Are you there? Let's read it together. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus, born to save you and I from our sins. Without, watch this, the gift of the Savior, we would still be dead in our sins. Salvation is not a cheap gift. However, it cost Jesus his life. He was born to suffer the wrath of God for the sins of every person who would ever live. That's you and me. Thanks to Jesus, we truly have good reason to celebrate. So if you really want to celebrate Christmas, how do you do it? Anybody, how do you do it? How do you celebrate Christmas? If you really truly want to celebrate Christmas, do you put up a Christmas tree? and adorn it with lights and ornaments. You put lights all over the house and put the nativity scene outdoors in the front of your home. Do you go out and buy gifts? And then when you wake up on Christmas Day and you watch your grandchildren or your wife, husband, or whatever the case may be, open up the gift just to see the reaction on their face. How do you truly celebrate Christmas? Because when the dust settles, now what happens? You've heard the statistics about gifts, right? About most gifts that people receive are not gifts that they truly wanted and or can use. And so what do they do? They return them or re-gift. So how then do you celebrate Christmas? I already shared it with you earlier. By reflecting 
and being thankful. Try to imagine on that night the significance of what that meant. There were those who were looking. There were those Jews, and not only were there Jews, but there were non-Jews who paid attention, who were looking for the birth of the Messiah. So how do you celebrate Christmas? By being reflective and thanking God for sending Jesus. The Bible says on this wise about John 3, 17, for God huh, sent his son not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might what? Be saved. He is our savior, the birth of the savior. The birth of the savior. If you don't mind, my sisters and brothers, let us stand and read our golden text and then we'll jump right into these 14 verses of Luke chapter 2. Amen. And if you prepare, let us read together. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Amen. Thank you so much. God bless you. Amen. In essence, we could sum it all up that Christmas is merely our celebration of Jesus' birth. That's it. That's the essence of Christmas. Our celebration of Jesus' birth is just like when your first child was born. Oh, hallelujah. Look, look at this. He's the first child of, of Mary and Joseph. Can any of you remember when you had your when your first child was born? Were you elated? <laughs> Ecstatic? Huh? I was. I was like, wow, God would allow me. Huh? So truly, in in in, in my life, listen, uh, Have mercy, Lord. Uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Turn there with me if you don't mind. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Remember I said earlier, before we began, that I was going to show you how we connect the dots and see how even the prophets of old had already foretold, prophesied about his birth. So let's read together Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. What does it say there? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Which interpreted means God with us. Watch this. <laughs> they paid attention. There were those who paid attention. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. That's just two chapters over, so you don't have to be flipping through your 
your Bible, trying to find a whole nother book. Here it is, verse 6. Let's read. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. If you want peace, get to know Jesus. Because even in that same book, Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3, says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. Birth of the Savior, birth of the Savior, birth of the Savior. Amen. Someone, please, ma'am or sir, read those first three verses for us of Luke chapter 2, our printed text for the day, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. Please read verses 1 through 3. Cyrenius. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. After having now read those three verses of Luke chapter 2, turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. And if you found it, please read. Ma'am or sir. Amen. <laughs> now, watch this. You heard what he said. He says, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from who? That all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. But watch this. Look at verse three. And all went to be taxed where? To their own city. We just read Micah chapter five, verse what? Two, notice, while it may appear that Caesar Augustus is in control, hidden in control of anything, the mere announcement of the tax decree was less about him announcing the tax decree because, watch this, Jew, the Romans did not require the Jews to return to their own city. The Jews did. Thus, Joseph is from the what? Lineage of David. And Bethlehem is often referred to as what? The city of David. And thus, God is in control. Because it was prophesied where? Back in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, where the baby would what? Be born. 
We just read it, did we not? But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel. And in the text today, we learned that Jesus was where? Born in Bethlehem. Amen. Now, now watch this. Think about the sacrifice. Think about what it took. Mary is pregnant. They've got to go on this journey. And the Bible says they went up. Not up geographically, but in terms of what? Positionally. Positionally. We're talking about the birth of the Savior. Although what? Born in a lowly manger, but yet what? Ruler of all. Amen. She's pregnant. It's cold. <laughs> you up into the desert at night. <laughs> it's not what you think. <laughs> it is not what you think. You better have your overcoat, gloves, and everything else in the desert at night. It gets cold like you wouldn't believe. Hot in the day, cold at night. It gets cold. Amen. Uh, listen, 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 listen. Here it is, here it is. Uh, God controls the events of human history. Events do not control him. Caesar made decree a taxation on the then known world, but it was as a result of God being in control. God does not need you and I to micromanage him. Can I talk? He makes a decree about a taxation. And in doing so, the scriptures read right here, and all went to be taxed, verse 3 of Luke chapter 2, everyone into his own city. So let's move down to verse 4. Let's read that together. Here it is. Let's read. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because what? He was of the house and lineage of David. I didn't make it up. God used the decree of Caesar because it had already been prophesied as to the city to where in which Jesus would be born. Notice, as it talked about from of old, from everlasting over in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it, 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 it says it right here. Whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, which means what? He preexisted. It's a preexistence. It's a clear prophecy of the Messiah's coming, for no human being has ever been from of old or from everlasting. Amen. And I talked about what? The, <laughs> about the going up. The going up. Not in direction, but in accordance with the geographical elevation and spiritual prominence of Jerusalem. 
how important, how significant that is. Amen. Amen. All right. Someone, sir, ma'am, please read verse. Uh, let's see. Do we want to do those verses four? We already read verse four, didn't we? Yeah. God accomplishes great things through those who trust and obey him. Okay. Well, first of all, we saw Mary's obedience. And then we saw Joseph's obedience. Remember? When the angel came and spoke to Joseph and says, Joseph, do not fear that which is in Mary is of what? Of the Holy Spirit. Because when we get to verse five, we see that word espoused. Okay, now Jewish law would say that, guess what? Whatever the punishment was, because one would suggest that Mary had committed what? Adultery. The Bible records that it says that he put her away what? Privately. Now imagine the fear that comes over a man who that word espoused in literal translation means promised. They had promised to marry each other. But wait a minute, Mary, you telling me you pregnant? And I know that we have not what? She said it herself. Did she say, how can this be when I've not what? Been with a man. And Joseph demonstrates his obedience to God by not doing what? Putting her away. And he goes by virtue of a decree. And Mary went with him. And however long it, the journey was, and they show up to Bethlehem. They arrived there. Now watch this. Think about this. No doubt there were others who were making the same trek. The smallest of the smallest villages. You read your Bible, it's in there. It's small, so small. So they get there and there's no room. It's cold. A cold winter night. And no room. You woman, you can bear children just knowing the comforts that we have of having a hospital. That in of itself. As seemingly comfortable the environment may be, but what about what you're experiencing physically? She didn't have that comfort. They're outside and the, the historians and they say that it they call it a, a barn, but they would build these troughs inside these caves. Where the animals could feed from. So when a barn like you and I know barns that we see in our world today where someone went out there and built a barn. Even though 
our world would tend to have us believe as they construct the nativity scenes and so forth, but that's really not what it was. Here's what I said. God accomplishes great things, Jerry, through those who trust and obey him. Trust, and then after you're done trusting, then obey. It's not enough. You, you know, it's like when your children are growing up and they're young, they're little. And whether it's you're teaching them how to ride a bike or they stand at the edge of the pool and you tell them to jump in. That's trust, isn't it? You throw them up in the, <laughs> in the air. have no clue whether you're going to catch them or not. And you know when you, when you were teaching them how to ride the bike? Don't let go, don't let go. Don't, and you'd be, baby, I ain't going to let you go. <laughs> but then as they begin to get older, and you tell them, don't, don't, they become what? Disobedient. And then your response to them is much different, right, than it would be if they were what? Obedient. So it is when we, because we've talked about this before, God has no grandchildren. We are children. And therefore, when God instructs us, commands us to do something, we've got to be obedient. Our little minds are finite. God has infinite wisdom. He's all-knowing. Why wouldn't we trust him? I may not have shared this with you, but, and if I have, please forgive me, I'll share it with you again. How is it that you can trust God with your salvation, but you can't trust him with your little problems? How? How can one trust God with their salvation but not trust him with their problems. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. It is better to obey God. Peter and John said, they said, hey, we'd rather obey God than man. My sisters and brothers, saints of God, trust and obey. Amen. Uh, look at verses five and six. Let's read verses five and six together in our text today, verses five and six. Here it is. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Amen. Uh, where's my piece here? <laughs> Did we read seven? Let's read seven. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So here it is. It's a quiet interest into the world away from the public eye. The birth of Jesus was not a flashy spectacle. They didn't, you know, there weren't a whole host of family members showing up at the hospital. 
let me let me read this to you. Uh, God's plan for history and for our lives is perfect. No matter how it unfolds, it's perfect. Why? Because he's a perfect God. What may not seem perfect to you is perfect for God because he's a perfect God. Amen. Uh, yeah, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'll come back to that. I'll come back to that. So we have the birth of Jesus in verses six and seven, the birth of Jesus. She brought forth, says while they were there, uh, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. In verse seven, she gives birth. She wraps the baby in swaddling clothes. Now let's look at verses eight through 10, uh, verses eight through, well, eight through nine. Let's read eight through nine. And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Ah, they were sore afraid. That word sore, 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 sore afraid. What do you think that means? They were sore afraid. Severely frightened, right? Severely frightened. I mean, they were severely frightened. I mean, listen, they're shepherds. They're, they're just out uh, in the desert. Uh, the sheep are bedding down, and uh, they're just, they're cold, I'm certain. Uh, just, what, they had no expectation that something like this was going to transpire. None whatsoever. Uh, I think it was last Sunday. In fact, it was last Sunday night. Uh, I watched this tremendous uh, depiction, or I should say uh, expository, that Max Lucado did on TBN. And man, I'd never seen anybody walk through the birth of Jesus the way that he did it. Because for every individual, every character that we're talking about today, he started with Mary, worked his way to Joseph, to the shepherds, to, to the extent that since we're talking about shepherds, he spotlighted and caused or he provoked thought as to what was each man thinking while they're watching sheep, which was their job. Remember, these men are men who are considered the lowest of the low. In terms of their social standing, they were considered to be nobodies. I mean, obviously, you know, if you're a shepherd, you probably smell like what? Whose shift was it? Or were they all awake? Because the Bible says shepherds. Were they all awake? They didn't expect no excitement, you know. Shepherds. Why didn't he send an angel to the king? 
or to those who are of higher social status. Because the Bible already declares that he was born where? Because there was no room in the end. So uh, if we were to go tell uh, Putin that Jesus is being born in a manger, you think he'd get excited? And heaven help us if we told that fellow on Pennsylvania Avenue. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. It says that there were shepherds. Does it not? Huh? It says, and there were in the what? Same country, shepherds abiding in the field. Now, isn't it ironic that it's a shepherd? And I'm going to bless you. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 11. You got it? You're right there because after Luke comes John, and if you just get to, then it's just get to chapter 10 and verse 11. And then read that. Have mercy, Lord. Look at that. Doesn't that bless you? So the angels make an announcement to, the Bible says right here that there were shepherds in the same country. And they're doing what? And here it is right there. It says they were keeping what? Watch over their flock by night. Who watches over you and me? And what did he say he was? Jesus says he's the good shepherd. And he does what? Gives his what? Have mercy, Lord. Come on, students of the Bible, Bible students. Amen. That's good news. And what did he do? He came to do what? To die for you and me. To give his life for us. Or we would be what? Dead in our trespasses and sins. God's blessings are found in the most unexpected circumstances. Shepherds. They're the first to get the news. Ah, look at verse 9. What does it say there? And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the what? shone right about them, and they were so afraid. Can you imagine what that looked like? I can't imagine what that looks like. The, gl the glory of the Lord. Kind of uh, reminds you of what Moses asked of God. Hey, when God says, and I'm going to put my hand so you can only see my hinder part, because the Bible says no man can look upon God unless he what? It's just not going to happen. That's amazing. And think about it. You are a shepherd. You are nobody as far as society is concerned. So he didn't show up to the elite. Those rascals probably would not have believed. That's rich. Verse 10. Let's read it. And the angel said unto them, what? Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy 
which shall be to all people. Watch this, not just for the Jew, but to all people. Joy, joy to the world, huh? The Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, have mercy, Lord. Did you hear that? Let every heart prepare what? Him room. The, the songwriter says it like this, is there room in your heart for Jesus? How do I know he lives? Because the songwriter says, because he lives within my heart. Amen. The gospel is God's gift to all men. And here it is. If you're not doing this, saints, you ought to do it. Share it liberally. You ought to tell it everywhere you go. Daily, your prayer ought to be, Lord, help me to be attuned to opportunities that you make available for me to witness for Jesus. That doesn't mean you run out and look for people, but you recognize, you're discerning, you have a discerning spirit as to, and the Holy Spirit will certainly quicken your spirit to let you know when to do what? Share a word with someone that will make a difference. Do you know it's acts of kindness that bring people to Christ? Is what you do because why you're different. And you ever notice if you are doing something for someone who's not a believer, who may be experiencing some challenges in life, how they're not they're so accustomed to people being mean and bitter and not help helping them and showing compassion that you almost have to force them to accept your kindness. You ever notice that? I'm not talking about among us, the believer, because the book Becoming a welcoming church is going to surprise many of us. And Tom Reiner is right. You can go to some churches and you can show up as a guest. And if you just step, stand back and watch, you don't see no expression of love, kindness whatsoever. People full of themselves don't even acknowledge you. Here it is, <laughs> verse 11, for unto you, let us read it, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Micah 5, 2, for unto you is born this day where? And where is the city of David? Bethlehem prophesied in the olden days, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Verse 12, let's read. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a maid. What shall be a sign? The fact that I, the angel of the Lord, came upon you, and I'm sharing with you that you should fear not, for unto you is born this day. And watch this. And ye shall what? Find. Now, in order to find, they had to do what? Ah, bless God. And what does the Bible tell you and I? You will find me if you search for me and seek me with what? With all your heart. I love the Bible, but Washington, man, it, it blesses you, man. Amen. Um, we got to rush to a close. Here it is. 
God's blessings are not limited by man's expectations. You want to be blessed? Don't focus on what man has to say. You know, we use that old cliche phrase, uh, God's got the final word. Okay, if that's true, then why don't, amen. If God has the final word, then why are you worried about this supposed obstacle that's in front of you? You got to exercise and stand, fan, stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Let's read verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host doing what? And saying, and on earth, and he is, as we read earlier, the Prince of Peace. Did we not? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. He is the Prince of Peace. Amen. So we talked about the angel's proclamation, right? We talked about the birth of Jesus. We talked about the shepherd's frightening experience. We also discussed an unexpected announcement. That unexpected announcement, the angels appear to the shepherds. They're out there just watching sheep. And he just shows up. And you know, you want to know something? He can show up in you or my life the same way. However, watch this. What were they doing? They were watching. We just read it. They were watching their flock. Pay attention. Or you'll miss God's blessing. Don't come to church and focus on personalities and people and aesthetics. Before you leave home, you ought to already have your mind in a posture of worship. And get your heart attuned. You ought to come seeking. You ought to be praying for the one who's going to stand and proclaim the gospel and asking God to give a word, a rhema word, that is a specific word that will minister to you. Amen. So that you can mature and grow. And then watch this, share it liberally with others. That's all it ought to be. Don't, don't get caught up in the transactions. That is all the things that are happening. But it's your heart. The psalmist says it like this. Listen, who shall stand in God's holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And what that means is clean hands is that Whatever acts you do, make sure they are done all to the glory of God, that you're not, your deeds will find you out. And then your heart, the pure heart, you know what that means? The attitude of your heart. What's your attitude? You can show up. But if you don't have love, if you jump all the way over to 1 John chapter 4, then guess what? You make God alive because he says, how can you love me whom you've not seen when you got to have love. Love is what held him to the cross. You do know we're talking about his birth. And his birth was to do what? He was born to what? To die for our sins. Amen. Because of his what? His great love for you and I. So here it is right here in closing. It says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host doing what? Praising. 
Music helps both angels and men express joy and admiration for God. So don't show up to the house. Everybody else is praising and worshiping. You just sitting there and ain't moved. Boy, you ain't moved by nothing. And you and you watching the rest of us. Surely God has done something in your life. More importantly, if you're in the house, he did wake you up. I mean, I think that's a reason to praise him right there. What are your thoughts? I think that's a reason to give him praise right there. And in closing, here it is. You know, the, the, the truth of the matter is this. We all need to pay attention. God does not always do what we want, when we want, or how we want. Why? Because he's God and his ways are sovereign. Now, if you want to read a little bit more about that, Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9 tells you why. A lot of us tend to stop listening when we are in a dark hour. That's the worst thing you can ever do is to stop listening. Here it is. If he does not answer us right away, we lose hope and give up. The good news is that he never leaves us. Hebrews 13:5 says he will never leave us nor forsake us. Like those seeking like those seekers, that is the shepherds and others at Christ's birth, we must never stop seeking him or believing his promises. James chapter 4 verse 8. Write that down. Read it at your leisure.